Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. We are so glad that you are allowing us to come into your homes this morning. We're glad to be part and that you are joining us. And right before the message, you know, I heard the story of, uh, about this young woman who brings her fiancé home to meet her parents for the first time. And the dad couldn't wait to get a hold of this guy because he was just going to drill him with questions. So once dinner is done, he pulls him over and he says, why don't you come into my study? And they have a drink. And he starts by asking, hey, so what are your plans for the future? And the young man says, well, I'm studying to be a Bible scholar. And the father says, well, that's very admirable, but how do you plan to provide for my daughter and provide a house that she is accustomed to? And the man says, well, I'm going to study very hard and God will provide. Then right after that, the father says, well, great, but what about the, how are you going to buy a ring, one that she, you know, that she deserves? And the young man says, well, I'm going to concentrate on my studies and God will provide. And the father says, well, what about children? How are you going to provide for your children? And the young man, the young fiancé says, you know, don't worry about it, sir, because God will provide. So after all of that, they, they leave, and the mom couldn't wait to ask the father what had happened. And the mom says, so well, how did it go? And the father says, well, I have good news and bad news for you. What do you want to hear first? And the mother says, well, just go ahead and give me the bad news first. And she says, well, the bad news is that this young man has no job, and he has no plan for the future and she's like, so what's the plan for, I mean, what, what, what's the good news then? And the father says, well, the good news is that he thinks that I'm God. You know, I, this kind of feels like the same way that it normally feels when you guys are here, because there's no laughter right now, so I'm kind of used to that. Uh, but in any case, you know, by, by now, I think that all of you, including myself, have been inundated with all of the news and all of the updates on this virus. And What's left for us is to, to heed expert advice and, and to do our part. You know, last week, we, we asked you to carefully and prayerfully consider what God would have you do. So we asked you to pray for those affected and to pray for your leadership. And mostly that you would pray for an extra portion of grace, an extra portion of understanding, an extra portion of empathy and patience. And this week... As I was contemplating and I was praying and I was spending time with God and as all of you are wondering what's next and what's about to happen, I was reminded by God that he has never left me once, that he has never forsaken me, that he is with me and has always been with me. And I pray that you've been feeling the same thing. The other thing that I was thinking about is I started to think about my, my prayer journey throughout my life. And if, I have, if, I have, if I'm going to be honest with you, in my 20s, I was praying for things like provision. And I was staying, praying for things for like uh, promotions and, and the, the acquisition of stuff like the purchase of our new house. All good stuff. But I find myself also praying for this one constant thing. And then in my 30s, I was praying for the same things. But then I added the success and the stability and the happiness of my children. And I kept praying for this one constant thing. And in my 40s, as other things surfaced, and I, I found myself praying for my relationship with my spouse and, and the health of my family, and I still had this one constant prayer. And now in my 50s, I'm praying for all of the above, plus this constant prayer. But now I pray that everything that I'm about to do, think, and say, and every, all of the plans, that they would be in line with what God would have me do. You see, I'm now praying for God's will and his perfect plan and purpose 
for my life and for this church. But throughout my prayer journey and throughout my life, this one constant prayer that I've had in all of those decades has been a prayer for wisdom. And today, more than ever, we as believers need wisdom. We're not talking about just conventional wisdom, which is good. We're not talking just about expert advice, which is good. We are talking about heavenly wisdom that can only come from heaven. In a matter of two weeks, we've gone from a normal life as we know it to a life in certain terms of of uncertainty, a life of fear, of isolation, and everything that comes with that. We've canceled all events. We've emptied up all the shelves in the grocery stores. And now most of us are sitting by our computers or our phone, eagerly awaiting the next instructions. And but for the most part, I think all of us have heeded the expert advice and have heeded all of their calls and their instructions. At least I hope that you have. And I'm sure throughout your prayer journey, you, you've prayed and even now are praying for, for patience and guidance and comfort and peace. And maybe some of you parents are praying that you don't hurt your kids. Who knows, right? But I don't know about you, but I'm now more than ever are seeking, am seeking God's wisdom. And in times like this, I think it would benefit all of us that we would dive into God's word and see what he has to say on this subject of wisdom. So open up your Bibles to James chapter 3, or open up your apps, your Bible apps, so that you can be with me and read. And and we're going to start in verse 13. And this is what James has to say. And by the way, I love James. He just kind of tells it like it is. And um, I think you'll find that in the scripture. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? He starts with a rhetorical question. And then he says, if you are, then let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, at least be honest about it. Such wisdom, James says, does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Some strong words from James. But then he goes on to say, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. He goes on to say that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And right off the bat, our passage this morning tells us that there's two kinds of wisdom. One is earthly wisdom, which is skewed wisdom, or I guess we could argue that that's no wisdom at all. And the other is heavenly wisdom. And I think so often we as Christians get caught up in what we think is godly wisdom, but the truth is that it's earthly wisdom that is crept in and taken the place of godly wisdom in our lives to such an extent that it's become the norm. And I don't think I have to spend a lot of time right now convincing you that some of the actions, if you look around anyway, some of the actions that people are taking right now might be considered more earthly wisdom. 
That's not to say that all worldly wisdom is bad. I mean, it's to our benefit that we would listen to the experts and that we would respect organizations like the World Health Organization and the CDC and, and, and our state leaders. You know, my mom was a very wise woman. So not all worldly wisdom is bad. And she used to say things like, of course, in Spanish, she used to say things like, smart people learn from their own mistakes, but wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And in our case, we have at our disposal information from Italy and now Spain that is coming in that we can all learn from so that we don't have to commit the same mistakes. And so if the CDC says to practice social distancing, then we should be wise and listen to that counsel. But the kind of worldly wisdom that I want to caution you about this morning is the one that focuses on self. And the one that says, you know, let's do things that is right for us, what feels good, what makes us look good, what's going to put us above everyone else. George Bernard Shaw, he was this highly regarded thinker and writer. And among other things, he won a Nobel Prize for literature. He was also an avowed and vocal atheist. And he wrote uh, Pygmalion, which was later adapted into the screenplay and Broadway show, uh, My Fair Lady. And he was a brilliant man with a lot of worldly wisdom, yet he rejected the message of Scripture. You see, he placed distrust in his own belief system, which was based on human reason. Yet even him could not find long-lasting inner peace, and he slowly lost his confidence in what he believed. And shortly before he passed away in 1950, he writes these words. Very profound. He says, the science to which I pin my faith is bankrupt. Its councils, which should have established the millennium, have led directly to the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. In their name, I helped to destroy the faith of millions. And now they look at me and witness the great trage tragedy of an atheist who lost his faith. Folks, the world's wisdom will lead to destruction because it is a wisdom that puts self above others. It is a wisdom that gratifies the desires. It is a wisdom that says it doesn't matter who you hurt. It is a wisdom that says that you are self-reliant and that you do not need God. And it takes an event. It takes a situation it takes a pandemic to remind us that we are not in control. And I pray and I hope like it's doing for me that it would shift our focus on and in God. We celebrate wisdom in our culture and we look to the wise and it's not bad. I mean, we ourselves throughout our lives have to make some very important decisions in life. So we ourselves are looking for the right kind of wisdom. So James here is trying to point us in that right direction. And he reminds us that wisdom that comes from God, first and foremost, is going to be found in his word. Of course, it may come to, through a friend who is in tune with the Holy Spirit, or it may come from God himself as you spend time alone with him. But the reality is that real heavenly wisdom is not going to contradict Scripture. And I think next to scripture, children 
sometimes can be the most wise and the most humble and the most honest. In fact, there was a third grade teacher who asked her third grade class to just give her some advice. And this is what some of those kids said. One of them said, never trust a dog to watch your food. Another one said, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. One says, never tell your mom that her diet is not working. It's a wise kid. One says, if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. I have a kid like that. Another one says, felt markers are not good to use as lipstick. I feel bad for that parent. But another one said, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. And like I said, next to scripture, these kids really nailed it. You know, they do have some wisdom. But you see, the Bible, folks, is so full of wisdom. The entire book is full of wisdom, especially if you look in the books of of Job and Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Songs of Solomon. They, They are all considered wisdom literature. In Proverbs alone, I have a few that I picked out for you that I want to read to you this morning. Proverbs 22, 3 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Do we get that now? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Do not plot against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done no harm. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. In other words, listen to your mama. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Have you guys encountered any hot-tempered person around in the last few weeks? The whole book of Proverbs has little bits of wisdom in all 31 chapters. And seeing how it is from the word of God, then we know that it is godly wisdom. And I believe that we start to stray from God's wisdom when we start to see those problems in our life when we don't look into that godly wisdom. Think about it in just nine verses that I just read to you about wisdom. It tells you to be careful and to fear the Lord and to stay away from evil people and to not plot against your neighbor and to listen to your mom and dad and to watch out for pride, watch out for your temper, watch your mouth. And like I said before, if the wisdom does not line up with the Bible, then it is not heavenly wisdom. Again, that's not to say that all worldly wisdom is wrong. But when it comes to godly wisdom, it is a wisdom that is always going to have a heavenly focus. It is a wisdom that is going to help us to live lives that are pleasing to God and that are going to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. Let me remind you again as to what James says heavenly wisdom is like. He says, first of all, it is pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So here's a test. 
If you want to know if you are exercising godly wisdom, ask yourself, what is behind your motives? Are the things that you are about to act on or speak about or post on social media or give your opinion on result in peace, consideration, submissiveness, mercy, and sincerity? We see the world's wisdom in many areas around us already and things like relationships and politics and policies. And we can already see in many cases that the worldly wisdom is failing. And folks, yet, there is a bigger problem. And and I think the bigger problem is that we, the church, the church being you and I, often think that we're following godly wisdom, but the problem is that the worldly wisdom has crept in so much and has become the norm that is influencing us. Think about it. This is all good worldly wisdom. You get a job offer. So what do you do? You do a pros and cons list. You talk to your spouse. You talk to your close confidants and you, you, you negotiate your package. All good stuff. If you're a business owner and you want to do a five-year plan, what do you do? You, you use standard strategic planning techniques. You take a look at, at history and what's worked, what doesn't work. You take a look if you have the right people in the right seats. All good things. But oftentimes, our plans and our wisdom often fail to seek God's will and fail to leave room for God to do something new. And that's the opportunity that we have right now. We have an opportunity for God to do something new in our lives. God wants to do something new in our situation. The question is, does he have our attention yet. You know, I was contemplating, uh, like, like all of you, on what's happening all of this week, and, and the reality is that I don't know what God is up to, but I believe that God is going to use this for good. He will bring a revival through his people because we know that God never wastes a hurt. God has a purpose for every single pain. And I think God's plan is going to become more clear in the future. And, but we'll be able to see that he's going to use this pandemic for his glory. Soon, we will start to understand. But I personally believe that this pandemic is telling us something. To me, it's telling me that it's temporary. You see, this isn't going to last forever. The, the experts tell us that. However, you and I will last forever, forever, either here or in heaven. And I am reminded of what Paul told the, the Corinthian church, the, Corinth, the church in Corinth, and he tells them, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's our sad truth. We're all at the risk of death either from a coronavirus, old age, another pandemic, an accident, an illness like a cancer. The point is that you and I are eventually going to leave this earth. And yet, there are hundreds and thousands of people that are dying without hearing the message of Christ, without hearing the gospel. And folks, yet, God has given us, you and I, the church, the mission 
of letting the lost be saved or helping the lost be saved. This situation more than ever remind us that this building that I am standing on right now, these four walls, is not the church. This reminds us that you and I are the church, that we make up the body of the church with Christ as the head. This reminds me as your pastor that this church is not just about to bring comfort and peace, although that is so important. And that's what we're here for, to bring you comfort and peace in times of need. But now more than ever, we need to be in tune with the fact that we also need to save the lost because there's a lot of people being lost. Now more than ever, we need to be reminded that in the midst of all of this, God does become our glory. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. Where is your faith? Is your faith going to bring you comfort and peace? And can you put your hope in God and God alone and not everything else that is going on? I mean, what shall we say that God is good, but only when things are good? Or can we say like Job did, the Lord giveth and taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Folks, I understand fear. I understand uncertainty and anxiety. I understand our concerns, first of all, our loved ones, our families, and our concerns for ourselves. I feel it too. But perhaps, just perhaps, something like this needed to happen so that we can stop bickering and arguing with each other. There's so much that we disagree upon. I mean, just think about from a, from a church standpoint, we disagree on everything from theology to which pastor or which church is better. And if you don't like my message, you can just go down the street and hear a better one. Folks, this is reminding us that the message of Christ needs to be carried out. Will you take up your cross and do that? Out of our crisis, this church and the church with a capital C will rise. This is our opportunity. Folks, you are the church. This is the time that we rise up with wisdom and be the church. If you desire that, if you desire this kind of wisdom, if you desire to rise up, the Bible reminds us that in Proverbs, that speaking of wisdom, that you should cherish her and that she will exalt you, embrace her, and she will honor you. It's telling us that we have to desire wisdom with all of our might. That is the, the one thing that we need to wish for, if you will. And these are not cheap words. The price to price something and to embrace something are signs of intense desire and love. Wisdom, you see, has to be valuable to us. Just like Proverbs says, and if you look for it, speaking of wisdom, as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. So first, we have to desire it with all our might. Second, since wisdom is found in the word of God, it would be in our benefit that we would apply ourselves to the study and the meditation to know God's word. Psalm reminds us that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. 
Therefore, we have to devote ourselves to know and understand the testimonies of the Lord. You know, I read a statistic that says that if you just read 15 minutes a day, habitually, that you would have read 10 full-blown books in a whole year. Can you imagine the wisdom that you would gain by reading 10 books a year? So I encourage you to not only be faithful to a Bible study, but to also regular reading of great books on theology and biblical interpretation. I mean, there's so much wisdom from writers and theologians and and students of God's word that have preceded us. And the reality right now is that all of us have a little extra time, don't you think, to open up God's word? I don't know, I'm just saying. The third thing that we should do, and the most important that we can do about everything, but now we're talking about wisdom, is that you should pray. You see, Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, was not born a wise man. He prayed for wisdom and God said, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, I will do what you have asked. Daniel, another example, he himself admitted in chapter 2 that he had no wisdom. And then later he says, I thank and praise you, God, for my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power, and you have made known to me what we asked of you. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, reminds the churches, and he says that they might be given spiritual wisdom, and that they might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know him better. And then again, finally, James, he puts it so simply, if any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God. Folks, the wisdom that leads to true and lasting happiness is not natural or inborn. It is supernatural. It is a gift of God. Therefore, if you want to get that kind of wisdom, we must pray. Like you, this week I was confronted with so many things. And in so many areas, I started to reevaluate my thinking regarding a lot of things in life, my ideals, my priorities, and the plans that I have for life. Perhaps you can relate. The question that I proposed to myself, and now the question that I'm proposing to you, are you seeking God's wisdom in all of those areas? Or do you find, if you're honest with yourself, that earthly wisdom has crept in? Are you leaning on God and his word or are you allowing worry and anxiety and fear and pride and other people's judgments and opinions to influence you and influence what you are doing, saying, and acting? Remember what wisdom from above looks like. It counts the cost and the lives for the future. It focuses on relationships first with God and then with others. It knows to give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. It chooses to lose to self and allows God to be in control. It lives a life of peace and harmony. It chooses to serve and be a doer of the word. It says no to pride. It always presses on towards the goal of eternity. It produces a life filled with good fruit. It knows how to stop and pray before you speak. It understands that faith plus works 
equals success in life. The opposite of that is worldly wisdom. And that is a life that is filled with self-centeredness and selfish ambition. It seeks to focus on material possessions. It desires to walk over others to get its own way. It has a belief system based on animal instincts with no spiritual insight. And we need to decide. We need to come to terms and decide for ourselves if we're going to have this temporary view or an eternal view. We need to understand if we're living for self or if we're going to live for God and others. We need to know which perspective we have. Godly wisdom or worldly wisdom? Which one is driving our lives? The only way we're going to know if our lives and our plans line up is to be in tune with God and his word. And I'm going to take you back to with what James started with all along from the beginning. This scripture says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And then he closes this piece of talking about wisdom by saying, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Folks, you and I, as the church, should make it a priority to start planting seeds of peace. Will we do that? Will you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we are coming before you this morning. From wherever we may be, Father, we're apart physically, but we are together in spirit, united. Father, we understand that if we are gathered and if we agree that it, things will be done by us, to us and for us, by you. So, Father, we are all in agreement that um, we want you first and foremost. Lord, we're seeking your guidance. And because of that, Father, we are praying for godly wisdom, Father. Help us to recognize the difference. Lord, help us to see and hear and understand with our own very eyes, Lord, in our hearts and our minds, what that looks like in our lives, Father. Are we being pure? Are we seeking others' best interests before ours? Lord, we understand that that's not natural, Lord, which is why we're coming to you, because we need your help. That in the midst of all of the things that are going on around us, that are, that are creeping into our homes, Father, that are causing anxiety and in some cases fear, Lord, we seek you more than ever, Father. We seek your face, we seek your counsel, we seek your comfort and your peace, Father. And your word promises that in everything, prayer and supplication, Father, when we come to you, the result of that is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us, Lord, to feel that peace. Help us, Father, to further plant seeds of peace with other people around us, starting with our children and our spouses and our loved ones and everyone that we may come in contact with, Father. May we rise up as a church and start sending messages to everyone, Lord, that you are near. All they have to do is cry out to you. And if you're watching this morning and you want to know how to have a relationship with Christ, I just encourage you to silently in your head, just pray a prayer that says, Father, I recognize that you died for me. 
I accept you and I take you into my heart, Father. And as best as I know how, I repent of my sins and I will live a different life as a result of knowing you. And if you prayed that prayer, I will pray as the coming weeks that you will be able to see and dive into God's word and start a new relationship with him. And for the rest of us, I pray that we would be able to find that peace and we can only find that in God, in God alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like to close this morning by sharing with you from Numbers chapter 6, starting in verse 24. It is a prayer of blessing and it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Folks, this is a prayer of blessing for you and your family. That in the midst of all of this, that we can all unite in spirit and ask God for his blessing. That we would all be able to agree in spirit and say, amen. You know, the word amen means so be it. It means yes, I agree. It means let it be. So let's all agree. Let's all cry out to God for our families, for our children, for those who are affected by this virus. Let's cry out to God for our health workers and those who are in the front lines. Pray for this church. Pray for the church in general. Pray for its leadership. Pray that we would be united. Pray that we are in agreement. And what we'll find is that our Lord is more than able. He's able to do more than we can imagine or ask for. He is faithful and he loves you so much that he will find favor in you. He is for you. And you will recognize that you are able to withstand everything that comes your way because he is with you. And like what we're about to sing right now, may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you and all around you, within you, for he is with you. For he is with you.